Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome to Washington Today on C-SPAN Radio for Tuesday, February 14th, 2023. Senators from both parties coming out of a classified briefing on the unidentified floating objects recently shot down by U.S. fighter jets and urging the Biden administration to share more information with the American public. Some of the senators calling on the president himself to give a speech. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin at a Ukraine defense contact group meeting at NATO headquarters in Brussels calling this a critical time in the war between Ukraine and Russia and changes coming to the battlefield tactics with concerns that ammunition may be used up by the Ukrainian military faster than the Western nation's ability to resupply. Nikki Haley announcing her campaign for the Republican presidential nomination in 2024. She's a former South Carolina governor and U.S. ambassador to the United Nations. She said in the video, it's time for a new generation of leadership to rediscover fiscal responsibility, secure our border, and strengthen our country, our pride, and our purpose. Nikki Haley becomes the first major challenger to the other announced candidate for president. On the Republican side, former President Donald Trump. Senator Dianne Feinstein, Democrat from California, saying today she will not seek a sixth six-year term in 2024. Senate Commerce Committee holding a third confirmation hearing for FCC Commissioner nominee Gigi Son. We'll talk about the controversy surrounding this nomination with a politics reporter with The Verge. New Consumer Price Index report. Labor Department says inflation rose in January 6.4% versus the year before, down a bit from December, but not as low as some analysts expected. And President Biden calling again on Congress to pass stronger gun control laws, saying it's time for every American to exclaim enough and demand that Congress take action. This after yesterday's mass shooting at Michigan State University that left three students dead and five more wounded. And today is the five-year anniversary of the mass shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, which saw 14 students and three staff members shot to death. From Bloomberg.com, U.S. Senators from both parties demanded the Biden administration publicly provide more information on unidentified aircraft downed over the weekend, partly to tamp down fears of more Chinese spy balloons. The U.S. government still hasn't determined the purpose of three flying objects shot down since last Friday, senators said Tuesday, following a classified intelligence briefing. One of the senators to come out and speak with reporters, Richard Blumenthal, Democrat from Connecticut. What is your general assessment? Like, do you feel like you have a better understanding of what these objects are? are you I, I have a better understanding, but the American people need and deserve to know more. There is a lot of information presented to us this morning that could be told to the American people without any harm to sources or methods or our national security. And the American people need to know more so they'll have more confidence in our national security. As I've said after so many of these briefings, our adversaries often know what we know. We know they know. The American people are the ones who don't know and they deserve to know more. And so I think 
that there's a need for greater transparency and more facts to the American people. Do you think these objects are a threat? With these objects, are you concerned about the safety of America? I am not in any way afraid that we are under a threat of attack or physical harm to our homeland. That's my personal feeling. But the American people need to be reassured with more facts. Is there a Biden administration too? Thank you, sir. Senator Richard Blumenthal, Democrat from Connecticut, with reporters after today's closed classified briefing for the senators with Pentagon officials. Four objects have been shot down in the past few weeks. First, it was the Chinese surveillance craft off the coast of South Carolina, and then the three other unidentified objects, one over Alaska, one over Canada, and one over Lake Huron. U.S. and Canadian authorities currently working to recover any debris from those last three. The U.S. Navy and Coast Guard still working to recover debris from the Chinese spy balloon in the Atlantic Ocean. Republican Senator Tommy Tuberville of Alabama also today calling for the American people to be given more information. Do you have any understanding of why all of a sudden these objects are appearing now? Like, why are we able to protect them now? Either they don't know or they're not telling us. Uh, It's a balloon. You know, uh, they've probably been around forever, but at the end of the day, President Biden needs to get up in front of the people of the United States and tell them what he knows, and let's get this thing over with. We've got Chinese coming across our border every day, which is a lot bigger threat, but nobody's even talking about that. So, uh, basically, so based what, on that, you said that's a lot bigger threat, the Chinese coming over the border. So you think the threat level, from what you've learned after this briefing, the threat level is low, these objects? That yeah. Are- yeah, yeah, okay. it's no. But do you feel that the president should address the nation? Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, my phone's ringing off the wall, and we got a president of the United States and not saying anything. Get out there and tell the people we're in good shape, we know what's going on, and let's go on with life. But uh, for some reason, we got no leadership right now when we need leadership in this country. Thank you. I got to go to work. Thank you, sir. Senator Tommy Tuberville, Republican from Alabama, with reporters on Capitol Hill after that classified briefing. Senator Mike Lee, Republican from Utah, tweeting after today's classified briefing. We still have essentially no idea what these objects are, how many others there might be, or whether they present the kind of threat that warranted the scrambling of fighter jets and the firing of missiles. National Security Council spokesperson John Kirby told reporters at the White House today that so far there's no evidence that those three last objects shot down over the weekend over North America were linked to China or any other foreign spy program. He said they could be balloons that were simply tied to commercial or research entities and therefore benign. The Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, Democrat from New York, telling reporters that he is satisfied so far with the information he has been given about those objects by the Biden administration and the amount of information being released to the public. We're learning more about these objects and our ability to detect them hour by hour. Um, and what I can say is that our defense and intelligence agencies are focused like a laser on first gathering the information, uh, assessing the information, and coming up with a comprehensive view to what is going on. They made it clear that there is no harm to uh, physical harm to Americans on the ground. No one has to worry about that. And the bottom line is, um, the I think the Biden administration is being very careful and very thoughtful. A lot of this information, people say, make it public, but a lot of it is classified or, or on the edge of classified, and it's difficult. 
I think some of our Republican colleagues are being at the very minimum premature and often just very political. There's a lot of information to assess. There's a lot of information to recover. And the administration is on top of this and done a very, very good job. The Republican colleagues are calling for President Biden to address the nation. The Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, Democrat from New York, with reporters. He later announced that Senator John Tester, Democrat from Montana, will lead the Senate Democratic Caucus investigation into why it took so long for the Defense Department to detect the Chinese spy balloons that floated over the U.S. John Tester has said that President Biden should have shot down that one balloon that floated over his state before it ever passed over sensitive military installations such as the intercontinental ballistic missile silos in central Montana. Senator John Kennedy, Republican from Louisiana, also speaking with reporters and talking about the suggestions by some on social media that the sudden appearance, as they're saying, of these objects in the sky is new or an intentional distraction from other news by the Biden administration. Here's Senator Kennedy. Assessment. Do you feel like there are audience here's, questions? Here's what I took away from the briefing. Many people, intentionally or otherwise, have been given the impression that a couple of weeks ago our skies were clear and then all of a sudden we have spy balloons and other identify, unidentified flying objects raining down on us like confetti. That is not accurate. Um, These objects have been flying over us for years, many years. We've known about those objects for many years. We're not sure that we've known about all of them, but we've known about many of them. Except for the Chinese spy balloon, We don't know what they are. What's different about the last two weeks is that we've started shooting them down. But we can't find the remnants, except for the the spy balloon. And that's what I took away from the hearing today. When you said this has been happening many times, they are lost. They can't find them. The, The remnants are in very difficult terrain, low temperatures, uh, lots of inclement weather, and they're looking, but they haven't been able to find them, except for these spy balloons. When you, you say that the there's been many... the nation? Well, I, I, th- I think that given where we are and the impression that, that this is some sort of uh, circumstances that's happened in the last couple of weeks, I think at at a minimum our director of of national intelligence uh, should should go in front of the American people and explain what we know, what we don't know, without without, uh, divulging any classified information. But this, it's clear to me, this is not a recent recent, uh, phenomenon. Then why do you think the administration waited until now to start bringing this to light if this has been happening? I don't know. Senator John Kennedy, Republican from Louisiana, with reporters after the classified briefing today for the senators on these latest objects shot down from the sky. New York Times article today has this. At the urging of Congress, the Pentagon and intelligence agencies have intensified their study of unexplained incidents near military bases in recent years. 
The studies on what the intelligence community calls an unidentified aerial phenomena have pinpointed previously undetected efforts to conduct surveillance on American military exercises and bases. Many of those unexplained incidents have been balloons, and some of them are now believed to be attempted surveillance activity by China or other powers using both balloons and surveillance drones. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, Democrat from New York, also spoke to the press after today's classified briefing, and she talked about an effort to have the Defense Department focus on these unidentified aerial phenomena. The reason why many of us created an office two years ago within the Department of Defense called Aero is to assess all of the unidentified aerial phenomena that our service members have seen over military bases, over um, sensitive areas, over um, nuclear um, assets, over ships. is because we need to know who is creating these these um, devices or balloons or drones and what they're using them for. And so that's why this office is up and running. It's been extremely effective. They've already reviewed over 300 unidentified aerial phenomenon. Over half of them are have been determined to be balloons or balloon-like technology. A couple dozen have been determined to be drones, and a handful have been determined to be debris, like birds or bags in the air or some other debris. So. Classifying this information has made it possible for us to be able to understand this balloon and what what telemetry, what trajectory, what how it was likely to, to go and to assess whether it had its own propulsion and could direct its um, a flight pattern. This is all part of the product of what we're trying to create with Aero. This program needs to be fully funded and we are working together right now to make sure we have the resources behind to do the hard work of being prepared to make decisions about what are we going to do above commercial airspace up until space? What are we going to do if other balloons come above the United States? Is this something that we are going to tolerate or not tolerate? Those are fundamental policy decisions that the White House and Congress will be making over the next several months. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, Democrat from New York, today on Capitol Hill with reporters. The military providing more information today about the object above Lake Huron that was shot down on the second try as the first missile missed the target. Here's General Mark Milley, chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Yes, uh, first shot missed uh, on the fourth balloon. So uh, we're talking about the balloon that was uh, downed over Lake Huron. Uh, The the first balloon, the Chinese spy balloon uh, that went down over the Atlantic on the South Carolina coast, that was that shot hit. Uh, The second one over uh, Alaska on the north coast of Alaska, that one hit. Uh, The third one that landed in the Yukon, that one hit. Uh, On the fourth one over Lake Huron, first shot missed, uh, second shot hit. Uh, So the the most important thing for the American military is to protect the American people. Uh, So we evaluate the risk. We evaluate the risk of the balloons themselves. Are they a kinetic threat or not? Yes, no. Um, are they an intelligence threat? Are they a threat to civil aviation? All those things we go through very, very carefully. Uh, we determine what the debris field is likely to be uh, with one of these uh, platforms uh, landing on the Earth's surface or in the water. So we go to great lengths to make sure that the airspace is clear and the backdrop is clear uh, out to the max effective range of the missile. Uh, and in this case, the, missiles, uh, land, or the missile uh, landed harmlessly in the water of Lake Huron. Uh, we, we tracked it all the way down. Uh, and we made sure that the airspace was clear of any commercial or civilian or recreational traffic. We do the same thing for the maritime space. Uh, so we're very, very deliberate in our planning. Uh, NORTHCOM uh, does that uh, along with the, the pilots themselves. Uh, so we're very, very careful to make sure that those shots are, in fact, safe. And that's the guidance from the president. Uh, shoot it down, but make sure we minimize collateral damage and we preserve the safety of the American people. 
General Mark Milley, chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, at a news conference in Brussels, Belgium, NATO headquarters. Standing beside the Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, they both said that the remote locations and the bad weather are making recovery of the recent objects to be shot down over Alaska, Canada, and Lake Huron more difficult. General Milley and Secretary Austin at NATO headquarters for a meeting of the Ukraine Defense Contact Group. That's the coalition of over 50 countries that have been providing Ukraine the weapons and support to fight Russia. And today pledging more of those weapons, ammunition and tanks, but not fighter jets, as Ukraine has been requesting. This with the anniversary of Russia's invasion coming up next week. Politico reporting the U.S. is prioritizing helping the Ukrainians tweak the way they fight, relying less on artillery barrages and more on how the troops maneuver on the battlefield as concerns mount over Western nations' ability to replenish ammunition stocks. Reporter asking Secretary Austin about the state of the war. Secretary Austin, um, you said earlier this is a crucial moment for Ukraine and that the Allies need to get air defenses and munitions into Ukraine now. What are you seeing from Russia that makes this moment different? And the NATO Secretary General has already warned that Ukraine is burning through munitions faster than a rate that the Allies can supply it. Will you at some point need to ask Ukraine to do more with less? So in terms of where we are, thanks Tara. In terms of where we are in the fight, um, what we see, what we've seen over the last several months um, is a contested battlefield. Uh, we see a lot of activity uh, in, uh, in the Bakhmut area, which is where Russia is, uh, is focusing most of its effort. We see Russia uh, introducing a number of uh, new troops to the battlefield. Many of those troops are uh, ill-trained and, and, uh, and ill-equipped, uh, and so uh, their casualty rate has been really high. Um, <clears throat> what Ukraine wants to do in the, you know, at, at the first possible moment is to establish uh, or create uh, uh, momentum uh, and, uh, and, and establish uh, conditions on the battlefield that uh, continue to be in its favor. Uh, and so well, we expect to see them uh, conduct an offensive uh, sometime in the spring. And because of that, you know, we are, we, all of the partners in the, in the Ukraine Defense Contact Group have been working hard to ensure that they have uh, the armored capability, uh, the fires, the sustainment to be able to be effective in creating the effects on the battlefield that they want to create. Uh, and so um, we believe that there will be a window of opportunity uh, for, for them to exercise initiative and, and then uh, change uh, or continue to, to uh, create the, the right conditions on the battlefield there. In terms of munitions, uh, it, this has been a tough fight throughout, and we've been uh, – Ukraine has been at this for a year, and so they have used a lot of artillery uh, ammunition. Uh, we're going to do everything we can, working with our international partners, to ensure that uh, we give them as much uh, ammunition as quickly as, as possible, and that uh, we'll, we'll do everything we can to sustain our efforts there as well. Um, we are – 
working to, uh, with the Ukrainian soldiers in various places throughout Europe uh, to emphasize additional training on maneuver so that uh, it, as they place more emphasis on uh, maneuver and, sh and shaping the battlefield with fires and then maneuvering, uh, there's a good chance that they'll require less, uh, less uh, artillery munitions, but that's left to be seen. So we're going to do everything we can to make sure that they have what they need to be successful, uh, and that's what we continue to emphasize here in the Ukraine Def Defense Contact Group, uh, and, uh, and we think uh, the training will pay uh, additional dividends as well. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin at a news conference at NATO headquarters in Brussels, Belgium, with General Mark Milley, chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. From an Associated Press article, there's this. According to some estimates, Ukraine is firing up to 6,000 to 7,000 artillery shells each day, around a third of the daily amount that Russia is using. NATO Secretary General Jan Stoltenberg warned Monday that Ukraine is using up ammunition much faster than its allies can supply it. However, the Russians appear short on resources for any major offensive at the moment, the United Kingdom Ministry of Defense said. That from Associated Press. This is Washington Today. Nikki Haley, former South Carolina governor and former U.S. ambassador to the United Nations under former President Donald Trump, has announced she is running for president in 2024, becoming the first major challenger to former President Trump for the Republican nomination. Nikki Haley tweeting, Get excited. Time for a new generation. Let's do this. There was a three-minute video attached. Here's the last minute of it. Republicans have lost the popular vote in seven out of the last eight presidential elections. That has to change. Joe Biden's record is abysmal, but that shouldn't come as a surprise. The Washington establishment has failed us over and over and over again. It's time for a new generation of leadership to rediscover fiscal responsibility, secure our border, and strengthen our country, our pride, and our purpose. Some people look at America and see vulnerability. The socialist left sees an opportunity to rewrite history. China and Russia are on the march. They all think we can be bullied, kicked around. You should know this about me. I don't put up with bullies. And when you kick back, it hurts them more if you're wearing heels. I'm Nikki Haley, and I'm running for president. Portion of a video today posted by Nikki Haley. She has scheduled a formal announcement of her presidential run on Wednesday in Charleston, South Carolina, 11 a.m. Eastern. You can listen to it live here on C-SPAN Radio. A spokesperson for the Make America Great Again Incorporated Super PAC aligned with former President Trump, Taylor Budwich, with a statement about Nikki Haley. She started out as a never-Trumper before resigning to serve in the Trump administration. She then resigned early to go rake in money on corporate boards. Now she's telling us she represents a new generation. Sure looks like more of the same, a career politician who's only fulfilled commitment is to herself. And the Democratic National Committee chair, Jamie Harrison, with this statement, Nikki Haley served in Donald Trump's administration, has embraced the most extreme elements of the MAGA agenda, and couldn't even identify a single policy difference between herself and Trump. 
Haley's entrance officially kicks off a messy 2024 primary race for the MAGA base that has been long brewing. Everyone get your popcorn. On Capitol Hill, the Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell asked about the Nikki Haley candidacy. In light of Nikki Haley's decision to jump in to the race today, do you think that it's time for the party to find a fresh face and move away from Donald Trump? Well, what I think we're going to have is a vigorous primary with a number of candidates making their case and the American uh, people, those who are registered Republicans who are going to participate in these primaries are going to decide who they want to nominate. And uh, I think it's going to be very, very uh, competitive in these primaries and we'll hope for the best. And obviously I'm going to support whoever the nominee ultimately is. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, Republican from Kentucky, at a news conference in the U.S. Capitol building. Another Republican said to be considering a run for the presidency in 2024 is Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, and a reporter asked him today about his plans. Nikki Haley announced the presidential run today. Do you plan on following suit? (laughs) Wouldn't you like to know? (laughs) Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Governor Ron DeSantis at a news conference today in Jacksonville, Florida. A new poll from Associated Press, NORC, Center for Public Affairs Research, finds Republicans' preference for their party's nominee for president 2024. Given the open-ended question, no name suggested, 22% go for Ron DeSantis, 20% for Donald Trump, and then 11 others, each named by 1% each, including Nikki Haley and former Vice President Mike Pence. Senator Dianne Feinstein, Democrat from California, is saying today she's not going to run for re-election in 2024, but plans to, in her words, accomplish as much for California as I can through the end of next year when my term ends. And she says that includes preventing and combating wildfires, mitigating the effects of record-setting drought, responding to the homelessness crisis, and ensuring all Americans have access to affordable, high-quality health care. Senator Feinstein first elected to the Senate in 1992. She is now 89 years old and is the longest-serving woman in the history of the Senate. A tribute today from the Senate Majority Leader, Chuck Schumer. First, of course, as I'm sure you all heard, our wonderful colleague from California, Senator Feinstein, has announced that she is not seeking another term. We're all glad she's remaining with us in the Senate and will be fighting the fight for the next year and a half. Quiet. And she'll be fighting the fight with us for the next year and a half. But she's a legend. A legend in California as the first woman senator. A legend in this Senate. She, she was the leader on so many different issues. Assault weapons, environment, women's rights, and so much else. She approached everything studiously and carefully, but she had passion that accompanied her knowledge of, her detailed knowledge of the facts. And she was able to convince people on both sides of the aisle to go along with her on issue after issue after issue. I first got to know her when she carried the assault weapons bill in the Senate. I was a Congress member and carried it in the House. And the guidance she gave of how to get it through the House, the help she gave by lobbying various House members was just incredible. So she's an amazing person. She spoke at our caucus. Uh, she gave a very heartwarming and tear, tear, teary address because she talked about her husband and how she so regretted his loss. And he was her true partner. We all got, knew Dick Blum and loved him as well. 
and she got a standing ovation that lasted minutes and minutes and minutes, one of the longest I've ever seen, which shows the love that our caucus and our country have for this wonderful, wonderful leader and legend, uh, Dianne Feinstein. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, Democrat from New York, today at a news conference and with the pending retirement of Senator Feinstein, not running for another term in 2024. It's an open seat in California for the first time in over 30 years. A lot of current office holders jumping into that race, many more expected. A Senate milestone today, they have confirmed President Biden's 100th judicial nominee to a lifetime appointment. That'd be federal district court, appeals court, and the Supreme Court. It took two years and 26 days to reach that mark. And by comparison, under President Trump, the 100th judge confirmed about three months after. Washington Today continues in a moment. Welcome back to Washington Today, available as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts and on the C-SPAN Now mobile app. The Senate Commerce Committee holding a hearing today for Gigi Sohn, President Biden's nominee to be a commissioner on the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission. She's a former staffer of that agency and a co-founder of the advocacy organization Public Knowledge. She was first nominated in October 2021, and today was her third confirmation hearing. In her opening statement, she addressed some of the criticism against her. I believe it's critical for at least one member of the FCC to be a consumer advocate who has spent a career not beholden to any interests but those of the public. I've certainly worked with industry towards common goals, and many in industry are among the 400 over 400 groups that support my confirmation. But my roots and my heart are with everyday Americans the FCC by law is tasked to serve. Third, I'm extremely well qualified. Even those who oppose my confirmation agree that I have a deep knowledge of the issues before the FCC, and thanks to my time working at the agency, I know how it operates. I'm proud of my bipartisan network that includes pretty much every FCC stakeholder, including state and local officials, tribal leaders, industry, academia, public interest, public safety, civil rights, and the disability community. I know everybody, and they know me. They also know, regardless of whether we agree on policy, that I'm a straight shooter who will listen, try to find common ground, and take their equities into account. Lastly, I believe deeply that regulated entities should not choose their regulator. Unfortunately, that is the exact intent of the past 15 months of false and misleading attacks on my record and on my character. My industry opponents have hidden behind dark money groups and surrogates because they fear a pragmatic, pro-competition, pro-consumer policymaker who will support policies that will bring more, faster, and lower-priced broadband and new voices to your constituents. FCC Commissioner nominee Gigi Sohn, part of her opening statement today before the Senate Commerce Committee holding a confirmation hearing. The opposition on the Republican side, led by Senator Ted Cruz of Texas, the committee's ranking member, who said that Gigi Sohn is not fit to be confirmed, citing three reasons. First, he said she allegedly didn't disclose her past role on the board of a company that streamed over-the-air broadcast TV and then settled a lawsuit with major TV networks for alleged copyright infringement for much less than they had been seeking. Second reason, Gigi Sohn making political contributions to senators who would be voting on her nomination. 
and third, because of her political activities. Here's some of the questioning on that third reason. You have been an active supporter of a left-wing activist group called Fight for the Future. And I will say the record of Fight for the Future is really quite remarkable because they have blasted members of this committee on both sides of the aisle. Here's a billboard Fight for the Future put up in West Virginia in 2017 attacking Senator Joe Manchin, a Democrat. The billboard essentially accuses Joe Manchin of being corrupt. Ms. Sohn, do you believe Joe Manchin is corrupt? Absolutely not. You don't? Okay, well, that's interesting. Uh, I will point out, in 2017, Fight for the Future also erected similar billboards accusing Senator Tester and Senator Peters of being corrupt, both of whom are members of this committee. I can't recall a nominee who's actively supported efforts to blast members of this committee to run billboards. Senator, may I address that, please? You may. When you say actively, I give every single organization with whom I work on net neutrality $100 contributions at the end of the year. Ms. Sohn, with Doesn't respect, mean I agree with, with their tactics. The, the time is limited, and yes, it does, because after they put up the billboards attacking Manchin, Tester, and Peters as corrupt, afterwards, you sent this tweet, just made my end-of-year donation to this organization, urging others to do it after they did that. And because the time is limited, I'll note, this group also blasted Marsha Blackburn, Dan Sullivan, and astonish Roger Wicker, and astonishingly called for Chairwoman Cantwell to be fired. And after each of those, to be removed from as chairwoman of this committee, after each of those... You supported it, and in fact, I want to turn to the final point, the Roger Wicker one, where this group protested and said, you're buying a senator, and you said you don't support their tactics. I'm going to point out, you tweeted, well done to this radical group who blasted the former ranking member of this committee and saying that his donors were trying to buy a senator if they were trying to buy a senator, were you trying to buy senators when you made a dozen contributions? Senator, I did not know, number one, that that was about Senator Wicker. Number two, I was criticizing it Senator. Roger Wicker right there. Okay, well. That is literally what you retweeted was his name. That's fine, but I was actually criticizing the donors and not criticizing the senator. Nominee for FCC Commissioner Gigi Sohn, questioned by Senator Ted Cruz, ranking Republican on the Commerce Committee. McKenna Kelly is a politics reporter for The Verge and has been covering this confirmation hearing. Joining us now by phone. Thank you so much for, for doing this. Third confirmation hearing for, for Gigi Sohn. What is the history of this? Right. Well, President Biden nominated Gigi over 15 months ago. Uh, and throughout that time, she's done two other confirmation hearings. She was voted out of committee once. Um, but it was a tie requiring a discharge p- petition. So that nomination on the floor kind of sat for a while and she needed to be renominated again. And so Biden did that uh, last month. And so today was the first confirmation hearing of the latest nomination. <laughs> you write in, in your article that the Republicans generally oppose her, but the support among Democrats is shaky. Why is that? Right. If you look back to the past uh, 15 months, two years, of course, like the the Senate had a 50-50, quote, majority, right, with the vice president breaking that um, for a 51-50. And so at that point, it, they needed every single Democrat to vote 
yes. And at the time, there was about three people who I heard from sources who weren't entirely sure or didn't publicly say whether or not they would vote for Gigi. If I remember correctly, I think that was Senator Cortez Masto, Mark Kelly, and Joe Manchin. And so without, you know, with three people possibly being holdouts on her nomination, it never really got to the floor, especially when it needed a discharge petition to get there because of that tie committee vote. Today, Senator Cruz pointed out a a couple of reasons why he says he opposes this nomination, and they're based upon uh, ethics and her political activities. She says it is all about policy differences. What's the dominant factor here? Right. So if you look at uh, Senator Ted Cruz's criticisms and those of many of the Republicans on the committee, they're pointing to a lot of tweets, likes, retweets of things where she uh, basically echoes basically in some ways mainstream leftist progressive views, you know, defunding the police. Uh, She says some things that are disparaging towards the Fox News network, uh, things like that. And to Ted Cruz and many of these Republicans, they feel as if someone who has those kinds of views on mainstream conservative speech, they should not be in charge of the FCC. And what uh, Gigi Stone pointed out today, and I think it's really important, is that in a lot of these you know, in a lot of these cases, the FCC has no jurisdiction over it. Uh, so it's, it's been kind of interesting uh, to see all of that play out. In terms of differences over, over policy with the FCC, she accuses the opposition of, of doing kind of a stealth campaign against her. Right. And the, the opposition being the telecom industry, right? Over the past, how many years have we been dating, like, net neutrality and expanding broadband? A long time, 20 years at least, Right. Uh, the telecom industry has not been quiet about their opposition to those rules, and Republicans have oftentimes sided with them. So there's been a lot of discussion and a lot of reporting over, I believe it was the Washington Post perhaps a couple months ago, who put out this story about you know these kind of astroturf Facebook ads that can be connected back to the telecom industry opposing Gigi's nomination. So this was the first time in over you know 15 months since she was nominated that Gigi actually sat down and um, criticized and called out those who were critiquing her in this kind of, in many ways, a bad faith way. We're talking with McKenna Kelly, reporter with The Verge. Fox News has an article on this that that has has this line. The stakes are high for the FCC, which is currently tied 2-2 between Democrat and Republican appointees. So what is at stake here? Right. So when President Biden took office in uh, 2021, then-chair Ajit Pai um, stood down, stepped down. And when he did that, it left the 2-2 at the FCC. And since then, they've only been able to do, you know, something that's not too controversial in order to, because they need, you know, at least a majority vote in order to enact any of the rules. So they haven't been able to tackle much of Biden's agenda when it comes to telecom. And if you look back to, I believe it was a competition executive order that he authored maybe a year and a half ago or something. Uh, But he was calling for, you know, reinstating that neutrality and expanding broadband by taking a closer look at competition and expanding competition in the broadband telecom sector. So when we look at the policies that Gigi (laughs) would want to, you know, focus on, it's a lot of these things that the telecom industry and Republicans have opposed for a very, very long time. And finally, you, you mentioned that some senators in the previous Congress, Democrats, were not definite on our nomination. How do things look this time around? Right. So with a 51-50 majority, that only means maybe if 
if we really see this happening, um, it would be one person could give up, you know, one person could vote against her. Right now, we're definitely all the Republicans. It, I don't think we have to, <laughs> you know, uh, predict the future here. But it seems it's very obvious that they're all going to oppose her. Uh, so they need at least 50 votes. Now, with that 51, it makes it a lot easier. And when I'm talking to people at Public Knowledge, which Gigi um, famously co-founded, uh, they're very, very optimistic about uh, the possibility of her being confirmed, being confirmed very soon, before we get to the debt ceiling crisis later this year. McKenna Kelly is a politics reporter for The Verge. Her story is at TheVerge.com and on Twitter. It's at Kelly McKenna. Thank you very much. Yeah, great to be here. And C-SPAN cameras covered today's Senate Commerce Committee hearing with nominee Gigi Sohn. You can find it at our website, cspan.org. Wall Street today, the Dow down 156, NASDAQ up 68, S&P down 1. USA Today article reporting inflation eased for the seventh straight month in January, helped by lower costs for used vehicles and offering some relief to consumers struggling with high prices over the past year. Consumer price index data released on Tuesday showed that prices for a range of goods and services rose by 6.4% over the past 12 months, down slightly from an annual rate of 6.5% in December and a 40-year high of 9.1% in June. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre questioned about the latest numbers out of the Labor Department. Numbers came out today that show a monthly decline in real wages as well as an annual decline in real wages. Administration officials have said growing real wages is an important marker for the economy. How do you view the setback in today's numbers? So a couple of things. I do want to say that uh, what we have said many times is that we believe that the president's um, the president's economic plan is indeed working, and it's giving people a little breathing room. You heard me say this at the top: how the how we have seen, uh, um, you know, how we have seen um, the plan actually working. We see we're seeing inflation moderate uh, just a bit uh, as we've seen the last couple of months, and that is important. And the way that we see things moving forward, we believe uh, that it is uh, uh, that is important to continue to work to finish to finish the work that the president has started, and that's what you heard from him. Uh, very uh, explicitly, uh, just uh, just a couple of days ago, uh, when just last week, when he talked about uh, the state of the union and how he sees every how he sees uh, the economy and the progress moving forward. So, two things on the wages, uh, as you're asking me specifically on those pieces, as it relates to the data, uh, real wages are indeed up over the last seven months, which is important since trends are always more useful than one month's data. As you know, I know this is something that you follow closely, Josh. And the second thing is real weekly earnings are up over the last month. So we continue to make progress fighting inflation. As the president said earlier today, his unwavering uh, focus is on continuing to lower costs for families, and that's going to be our focus. We're going to continue to do that. That's why the Inflation Reduction Act is so critical, is so important, uh, and, uh, and we're going to continue to fight for the American people and meet them where they are. The White House Press Secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, part of her daily briefing with reporters. President Biden today nominating Federal Reserve Vice Chair Lael Brainerd to be the new chair of the White House National Economic Council. She'd replace Brian Deese, who is resigning. And also the president nominating Jared Bernstein, a member of the White House Council of Economic Advisors, to become that group's chair, replacing Cecilia Rouse, who is also leaving the White House. 
President Joe Biden writes the Detroit Free Press on Tuesday afternoon issued a statement in response to a shooting at Michigan State University that left three students dead and five others wounded and renewed his call for Congress to enact stronger gun control laws, noting that the incident occurred the day before the fifth anniversary of the killing of 14 students and three staff members at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. The president said it's time for every American to exclaim enough and demand that Congress take action. President Biden speaking about curbing gun violence today during an, ad- during an address to the National Association of Counties Conference in Washington, D.C. Glad to be here with all of you. Before I begin, I want to take a moment to say our, our hearts are with the students and the families of Michigan State University. Last night, I spoke with Governor Whitmer, and uh, the FBI and additional federal law enforcement are on the ground assisting the state and local folks. And... Uh, Three lives have been lost and five seriously injured. And it's a family's worst nightmare. It's happening far too often in this country. Far too often. While we gather more information, there's one thing we do know to be true. We have to do something to stop gun violence ripping apart our communities. Ripping apart. And today marks five years, five years to the day that 14 students and three educators lost their lives in Parkland, Florida. I met every one of those families, spent time with them all. And uh, a lot of you here have to confront violence in your communities every single day. We took a big step toward passing the most significant bipartisan gun legislation in 30 years, ghost guns and other things, background checks. But there's a lot more work to do. And uh, I'm committing to getting it done with all of you. Some of you know I, that, uh, and I'm going to say something that's always controversial, but there is no rationale for assault weapons and magazines that hold 50, 70 bullets. got it done once. We're going to do it again. But anyway, look. President Biden at the start of his speech today at the National Association of Counties Legislative Conference in Washington, D.C., went on to talk about the economy and budget priorities and raising the debt ceiling. On this Valentine's Day, First Lady Jill Biden decorating the White House North Lawn with large paper hearts. One of them with the message, reach out with open hearts and helping hands this Valentine's Day. And the others with handprints from young children of military families at the U.S. Army Garrison Fort Drum, New York. She worked with them on that when she was up there a few weeks ago. The U.S. House Chaplain Margaret Kroon Gibbon also with a Valentine's Day message during her opening prayer at today's U.S. House session. Holy and most merciful Lord, you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. On this day, where so many celebrate the loves in their life, may we pause in gratitude for the love you lavish upon us. The sweethearts we show appreciation for today are evidence of your grace to us, reminders of your presence with us as you care for and cajole us, challenge us and treat us to daily tokens of your affection. Lord, you are gracious and compassionate. 
and thank God you are slow to anger and rich in love. Greeting cards can't keep up with the mistakes we make in our relationships, and no amount of chocolate can erase past failures. But you, O oh Lord, give us chance after chance to redeem the ways we have offended you. And in the wealth of your love, you wait patiently for our return to the relationship you desire to have with us. On this day and every day, may we take time to celebrate how good you are to all your beloved. May we rejoice in the compassion you show to all whom you have created. Praise be your name in which we offer our prayers. Amen. The House Chaplain Margaret Grun Kibben opening today's session on Valentine's Day. Congresswoman Grace Meng, Democrat from New York, with this tweet. Happy Valentine's Day. While many celebrate with that special someone, fraudsters are working hard to rip people off through despicable romance scams. Those seeking love should be on the alert, and the FBI has tips to help the public from becoming victims. She included a link to an FBI help page ahead of Valentine's Day. Thank you for listening to Washington Today. Sign up for C-SPAN's evening newsletter word for word to get the stories Washington is talking about sent to your inbox every day. Subscribe at c-span.org forward slash connect. Have a good night. Good night.